How did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as possible. Or you could go to our webpage, letstalktorah.net, right? We are, we don't just need a, an email account anymore. We here at Let's Talk Torah have our webpage, letstalktorah.net, and there's a place for your comments and a place for your questions. And, of course, if you'd like to donate, that would be amazing. If you could help out the show, if you could help us grow, if you could help us spread what we do and share the same enjoyment, the same appreciation you have for the show, that would really be appreciated here. If you could hit that donate button, help us out. And uh, and the show can uh, keep going, and that would be great. That would be really appreciated. The school year is winding down. So before I came into the studio, I, I got a call, which is good because I got lost. Well, I didn't get lost. I missed my exit. And uh, had to, as we say, dre around. And it took me an extra probably seven or eight minutes, and I got a phone call. And it was a great phone call. Um, I had asked one of our one of our larger donors. I had asked him to consider raising his level of donation, and he said he had to ask his wife. And he calls me back um, while I'm waiting outside, and he says, "Rabbi, we're going to do it. We're going to up our gift to your next level, and it's really amazing, and we are so appreciative." And uh, and it's great. So I told him, I said, you know, the school year is ending. So whenever I talk to the donors, it's always nice to let them get a little bit of a feeling, right? They're so important. All donors to any organization are important. And if you don't go ahead and share with your donors the amazing things, whatever organization you're part of does, and if your organization is not doing great stuff, then I'm not sure why you're part of the organization. But... A school is great, right? Schools are amazing, and children are wonderful. And at the end of the year, it's most important that we end the year on a real high note, right? They've had a whole year, and some children it's easier school, and some children's school is harder. But no matter what happened, the whole year, they passed tests, they didn't do so well on tests, they had a hard time, they struggled, they didn't struggle. Look, there's all kinds of children, and... You have children that need remedial and they need resource rooms and they have to work really hard and, and still they don't always feel accomplished. There's all kinds of children out there. So, but at least we can do stuff at the end of the year to let everyone end the school year saying, you know, school was great. School was great. So it happens to be the end of the year, many teachers will make parties with their class. Um, I'll end up having a barbecue. We'll probably go to a park. Um... People take children on trips. But we do have a year-end trip. Um, the boys' division will be going next week to one of these uh, trampoline places. And then after after the, the trampolines, and I don't know what, bumper cars, I have no idea what else this place has. But after just having an amazing day, 
Um, then we'll go to the park. We'll have lunch. Everyone's just in a relaxed, happy mood. It's just there's nothing like ending the year with everybody happy. And I, yeah, some, and don't worry, they're children. They're, they always manage to uh, do things that you're trying to protect them and keep them safe, and they they do things that they shouldn't be doing because they're kids. Like you know, our job is to watch them, and their job is to be children. But that's really the key, right? And it's yes, it's our job to guide them, and our job to help them, and our job to keep them safe, right? And it's their job to be children. Right? If, if they had to be adults when they were little, then they lost out on being children. They're supposed to be children. They're supposed to learn. They're supposed to experiment. They're supposed to think. They're supposed to figure stuff out. So we got to let them be children. Somebody stopped me coming out of prayers the other day, and a father stops me. And I know some of his children have a harder time. So he says to me, you know, how do you know kids so well? How do you know what to do? I wasn't sure what he wanted at first. I tell him, I said, you know, I'm not sure how I know what, what, what they're supposed to do. Obviously, it's a lot of experience. Obviously, it's being a parent myself. Um, it's for sure having a wife that's like gets it, and she understands children better than anybody. We always discuss book smart. She isn't. But, but street smart, understanding people, understanding children, she's the top. She just gets children, so I learn from her. So half the things I say, if not 90% are coming from her. I tell the father, very interesting. I said, you know what's important? Don't live through your children. The fancy way they say it is don't live vicariously through your children. All the things you wanted to accomplish or felt you should have accomplished and, or even if you did accomplish, don't decide that your child has to be you or that you are, are living through the successes of your children. Right? People think, ooh, if I would have studied more, if I would have been more focused, if I would have been more whatever, I would have grown up and I'd be in a better position, but because I didn't, that's your problem. Right? What you got as a kid, what you get as an adult, what you do with your life, that is your problem. But this child you brought into the world, it's not his or her problem that you didn't, you weren't successful the way you wanted to be, so you'll be successful through the child. Why does a child have to suffer? Because uh, you made mistakes. And mistakes are a good thing. You made mistakes, very good. Now your child gets to make mistakes. Yes, we want our children to learn from our mistakes. They shouldn't make the same mistakes, but they should make mistakes. Mistakes are a great way to learn. You want, you, if you want to keep your children happy, let them live. Don't smother them. Don't squeeze that round peg into a square box, or vice versa, however they say the phrase, right? In other words, let them live. Take a step back. Um, will they always get 100 on the test? No. Some will be happy with a 70. Maybe they weren't happy they got a 70. You offer to help them learn. They don't take up your offer. No problem. I study a lot with my children, a lot. Now, this time, it's the end of the year. They're busy swimming and partying and going out and biking. So, But they know I only have like certain time slots for them. So it's really up to them. And I ask them, are we studying tonight? Oh, could we maybe study later? Sure. 
Um, are, do you want to be off tonight? Yeah, I want to be off tonight. No problem. Right? In other words, what am I pressuring to get that? It would, of course, it would be great if if they had extra. And if they lose out the half an hour, you're not getting the half an hour back. It's true. But more important, they can be relaxed. It can be at their pace. They'll be happy. You'll be happy. I mean, sometimes I'm bored because because I set up all my evenings to study with them. So when they want a night off, like, uh uh-oh, now what do I do in my free time? Okay, I figure it out. It's not so hard to figure out what I do in my free time. But if you want your children to be happy, let them live. Yes, they have to study. Yes, they have to do schoolwork. Some children need more help than others. And sometimes they don't realize if they don't let you work with them, they're losing out on the help. But, you know, I just believe a lot of times if we let them live... That's saying that it's free ride. There, there are times where they're going to have to study, but we don't have to be down their backs. And uh, that's something to think about as we get to the end of the year. Talking about children and maybe not being down their back, um, I owe you a story. Sounds funny, but I owe you a story. Um, and I was supposed to say it in the last show, and I forgot. So I apologize. But if you listen to last week's show, I was in the middle of an amazing story, and I, I didn't get to the punchline. I, I completely missed it. I mean, we ran out of time. That's life. So I'm going to say the story now at the beginning of the show, and then hopefully we'll get into the Torah portion about the spies and, and Moses sending the spies, and actually very interesting, there's two sets of spies that are sent. Moses sends the 12 spies in this week's story portion. They fail miserably, 10 out of the 12, but those 10 um, convince the Jewish people going to the land of Israel is a bad idea. And therefore, uh, God says, no problem. You don't want to go? I'll let your children go. You guys are staying here for the next 40 years. And then Joshua, who was one of the successful spies, he also spent, sends spies into the land of Israel. He sends two. And they're successful. Why are they successful? Because Moses' spies decided they had to tell the whole Jewish people their analysis, what they saw, with all their comments, and God's not strong enough. Joshua sent the two spies, but it was really clear, you're going to report back to me. You don't get to talk to anybody. They go, they spy, they come back, they report to Joshua, the... The people in Israel are petrified of us marching in. Joshua says, great, God's going to take care of us. So it is interesting. We have these two sets of spies, which I would like to talk about, but that way at least we got some of the Torah portion in before we start the story. We got to get into this story. So the story is told of a young man whose name was Avremel Greenbaum. And he was young, probably a teenager during the Holocaust. And although he managed... To survive, his whole family was, was killed in the Holocaust. After the war, he immigrated to the United States. He decided after the Holocaust, I want nothing to do with religion. He changed his name and is no longer known as a rebel Greenbaum, but he's now called Aaron Green. Following different opportunities, he ends up in Alabama and happened to marry a Jewish woman there. They started a family, and they, their oldest son they named Jeffrey. 
good old Yankee Doodle American name, and they made sure to raise him devoid of any kind of religion or Jewish observance. But, you know, when he turned 13, even even uh, Afremel, now Aaron knows that, you know, he's becoming a man, we got to do something to celebrate his 13th birthday when he's officially becoming a man. So the day he turns 13, Aaron tells his son, you know, we're not going to celebrate your bar mitzvah. We don't do that stuff. But here's the deal. And Aaron was, this Aaron was a wealthy man. He says, we're going to go to the mall. You can buy anything you want. Money is not a, not a, not a problem. You can go into any store you want, buy anything you want. That will be your present because you've reached this special age of 13. Sky's the limit. So they go, of course, where's a 13-year-old going to go? They go into the big electronics store. And they're looking at gadgets and at toys. And, and uh, nothing really interested him. You know, it's funny. Sometimes when you can have whatever you want, so now you don't know what you want. Like, nothing's important. I can have anything. So now what has value? What is that thing that I really, really want? So he keeps looking across, uh, across from this electronic store. There's this antique store. So he says to his father, he says, you said I could have anything, right? Yeah, that's the deal, anything. You know, could we go to that antique store? I just, something feels like it's pulling me. Sure. You don't want any of the electronic gadgets, the phones, the videos, the cameras. No problem. So they go into the antique store and start walking around. And Jeffrey's just mesmerized by all the different artifacts on display. And finally, um, as he's walking around, he points to an old wooden menorah. So Jeffrey says, Dad, he didn't even know what a menorah was. I, I would like that for my bar mitzvah present. So his father looks at I can't believe it. My son wants something Jewish, a Jewish article that I've been running away from. I told you could have anything in the whole mall and this old menorah is what you want? Like, it's not even a toy. What are you going to do with it? He couldn't talk his son out of it. So he goes to the shopkeeper and he says, hey, Mr. Shopkeeper, how much is the menorah in the window? And the shopkeeper, now I don't know if this is, was a sales ploy or true. The shopkeeper says, you know, I, I'm really sorry. That menorah is not for sale. There's a story behind it. So I said, what do you mean? There's a store. When you bring things to a store, you sell it. Hey, you offered him a lot of money. The storekeeper says, you know, I'm really sorry that I put it on the shelf. But I found out that the, the history of this menorah is that there was a man who built it during World War II. And just the fact that he was able to gather the wood and put it together, and it survived, it's a collector's item. It's, I don't know if it's priceless, it's not for sale. And of course, now that Jeffrey is watching this whole conversation go on, he says, this is what I want. All I want is that menorah. So Aaron, not being able to tell his son no, and he's, it's not like money is a problem. He's a wealthy man. So he's not scared to spend a lot of money, but this is going to be some expensive by Mitzvah present. 
Um, so finally, the owner agreed to sell for an exorbitant price, and Jeffrey was so happy. He takes the menorah up to his room, and he's playing with it. And one day, his parents are downstairs, and they hear a crash from upstairs. Uh-oh. They run upstairs, and they see the menorah is smashed. And the father yells at the son, you being so careless, and I paid so much money for it. But after the father finished yelling, he sees Jeffrey is so devastated that he broke it. He feels so terrible that uh, he says, you know, maybe we can glue it back together. So they're examining the pieces and they're trying to set it up the way it was, the way they remembered. And Aaron notices a piece of paper wedged inside the menorah. Inside, I guess, one of the tubes or something, there's a, there's a piece of paper. He pulls out the piece of paper. He starts to read it. And he starts to cry, and he faints. So the family, of course, get a nice bucket of water, splash it on the father's head. They say, what happened? And he couldn't talk. He just had to gather himself. He says, let me read you the letter. Now, the letter was written in Yiddish, uh, but Aaron grew up in Europe. Yiddish was not a problem. And he reads it and translates it. To whoever finds the menorah, I want you to know, I constructed it not knowing if I would ever have the opportunity to light this menorah. Who knows if I will ever live to the day I see, uh, that, that I see it being kindled. In all probability, going through the war, I won't see it ever lit. But if Providence brings this menorah to you, promise me you will light it for me and my family and those who gave their lives to serve God. Iron Green looks at his family and says, this letter is signed by my father. Like a message from the grave. If that's the message you get, you're not going to become religious. Unbelievable. Unbelievable story. To my children, talking about family. Um... I would talk about how important family is, and it's amazing what what happens when we care for our children. It's amazing what happens when our parents pray for us. And in this case, it all got put together, and uh, I guess to a certain extent it ended with a happy ending. So let's, though, with our few minutes remaining, let's see if we can get into some interesting points about the Torah portion. We talked about the last show a lot about the spies. Um, I want to get into really step two of what's going on in this Torah portion. So I already told you, so Moses sends the spies. Moses' spies, are, we'll call them not successful. Joshua's spies um, are successful. Um, and again, the question becomes why. So in the last show, we discussed that the only way that Moses' spy, that, that Joshua and Kalev we're able to survive, we're able to defeat their inclination to give a bad report was Joshua because Moses prayed for him, Caleb because either he prayed for himself or because of his wife. That was the last show. What helped Joshua's spies survive? What, what, was, what helped them be successful? It should almost be the same problem. So one thing that helped them survive, one thing, of course, that helped them survive was they weren't coming back to the Jewish people. They were coming back to Joshua only. So even if they come back with a bad report, who cares, right? Joshua's not 
allowing them to spread what they saw. That wasn't their that wasn't their job. But interesting, it says, unlike the spies in this week's Torah portion, who basically walk through the land of Israel dressed like a bunch of rabbis. I mean, this has got to be the worst um, idea of being a spy ever. You know, every spy is supposed to disguise himself to at least somehow blend in. Moses' spies are not blending in. It's not happening. Joshua's spies are blending in. He sends them as merchants. He actually sends them as pottery merchants. They're selling pottery, right? What's interesting is pottery has no intrinsic value. I'm not talking about if you have a a pot vase from the Ming Dynasty. I mean, a regular cheap pottery plate pot, bowl, whatever, right? The value of pottery is what's inside of it. I have a bowl of soup, so the pottery's value is that it doesn't allow my soup to uh, spill. If I have a piece of chicken on the plate, so the value is I can eat the I can eat my chicken, right? So pot, this, this, the symbolism of the pottery is it's very humble. Because it has no value on its own. Its value is what it's used for. So by Joshua sending them as pottery salesmen, so no one would look at them twice, was to say your value, right, is what's inside of you. That's your value. A second reason why Moses, his spies were not really successful, and Joshua's spies are successful is because um, the, there's a, a Jewish concept that the messenger represents the person who's sending him. And he sort of becomes that person. If I send you to do something, you become me. The problem was with Moses' spies, they were the messengers of the whole nation, and everybody had their own preconceived purpose of what these spies were going for. Okay, there's very a lot of confusion. What's my job? Who am I? What am I? That's too confusing. They're not going to be successful. Joshua sent them on his own. Their job is to be Joshua. That is a very focused message. And therefore, they come back with a report, and they tell Joshua only that um, that the country is petrified of us showing up. What's interesting is after the spies come back with a report and the Jewish people cry and God says, okay, your punishment is you're going to stay in the desert for the next 40 years. And the spies, not including Joshua and Kalev, are all going to die. Then the next command in the Torah is the command that we separate. When you make dough, you have to take a piece off, separate it for the Kohen, for the priest. We call that challah. That's what you think of as challah. Actually, when we separate a piece off, that's really where the word challah comes from. And the libations, the wine that is poured on the altar when sacrifices are brought. So w- what's the juxtaposition? What are What is spies and the Jewish people being punished and being stuck in the des- desert for the next 40 years have anything to do with these next two commands? So if you listen to the last show, then, then this answer is going to be even easier. If you didn't listen to the last show, it's worth listening. But the answer is the spies went with the idea saying, we don't want the land of Israel. We have it all. 
clouds of glory, the bread from heaven, the water from the well of Miriam. We have everything. All we get to do is be spiritual and study Torah all day long. And that's what these next two commands are here for. God didn't put us down here to be completely spiritual beings. He wants spiritual beings. He has angels in heaven for that. We're in this world to take the physical and, and, and infuse it with spirituality. We are physical beings. There's a lot of things we do that are physical. There's a lot of pleasures out there for us. But the goal in this world is to take my physical and make it spiritual. So we have this com- combination of physical and spiritual. And that's what's going on this week's Torah portion. But the music is playing. And I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, all wonderful sponsors. Listen, I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have Jen in the back. I hope I've left with some food for thought. Until next time, I'm Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.